1: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, Inc., is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? We do have a special introductory offer for my letter and Chen's. You can go to miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks.com, or call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, here in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. I'd like to tell you also that the best website to go to to access this radio show and uh, everything else uh, pretty much that I do in this business uh, is JTaylorMedia. That's J-A-Y-TaylorMedia.com, uh, and you can also follow me on Twitter under the handle JTaylor Media. J-Taylor, that's J-A-Y Taylor Media. Um, our sponsors, uh, for the first hour of today's show are Arroway Energy, Eurostar Gold Corp, Liberty Silver Corp, Eurasian Minerals, uh, and Brazil Resources. Uh, we're going to be talking, actually we're fortunate to have two of those companies with us today. We're going to be talking to Adrian Roberts, uh, Adrian Robertson of Eurostar Gold Corp and also, uh, we will be talking uh, to, uh, we will also be talking, uh, to, uh, Amir Adnani. Sorry, I don't know, I lost my train of thought there. Amir Adnani of Brazil Resources. Many of you will know Amir Adnani, uh, from, uh, Uranium Energy Corp. It's a company that we've, uh, has been a sponsor in this show. We've talked to, uh, various times in the past. Amir is considered to be one of the upcoming, uh, CEOs in the resource sector. I know Doug Casey has listed him as one of uh, the top five or ten uh Young emerging CEOs in the resource sector Amir has uh, done very well uh, in the past, and uh, I'm expecting he's going to do well in uh, uh, with Brazil resources as well, which is one of the reasons that it has been a recommendation in my newsletter and it is also a stock that I own personally. Uh, I also own Eurostar Gold Corp, and uh, also think very highly of that company as well. We'll be talking to both of them, to both of those uh, companies, uh, at about 3:15. Adrian Robertson will be with us, and then at about 4:30, Amira Nani will join us as well. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, we're very grateful to uh, the um, to the interest that you've shown. Uh, the numbers have been uh, steadily rising. Uh, since we started back in March of 2009. Um, just a word or two, I think I'd like to say about a couple of our other sponsors uh, for this show. Eurasian Minerals, which is a stock that I personally own. In fact, I would uh, would tell you that it is the largest single holding that I have in my IRA. Eurasia Minerals is a uh, what we call a project generator company. They are a sponsor of this show. We will be talking to their CEO sometime in the near future. But what I really like about that company is the project generator model, the fact that it has major gold mining companies and copper mining companies as partners who are spending huge amounts of money to earn in to projects that they are, of course, looking at for large-scale discoveries. And also what has really caused me to be excited about this company was its recent acquisition of Bullion Monarch. It's a company that's going to be throwing off six million uh, six plus million dollars to start with a year in royalties uh to Eurasian minerals and um uh lots of upside potential there from the Nevada projects that uh, are being uh that are being or gold is being mined by Newmont Mining Corp. So uh Eurasian is, is certainly a favorite of mine. I also like very much uh the the other couple of companies liberty silver i'm expecting to talk to in the near future uh to learn more about their uh, their story uh it is a company i know least about of our sponsors right now but i do know that they have one project uh a silver project a former mine in nevada that looks very attractive uh and then of course um airway energy inc uh that is a well that's a, a nice little profitable oil and gas company we have talked to them and we'll have them on again sometime in the near future they're producing oil and gas and uh just made actually another acquisition, or actually made a discovery of another pool of oil and gas in uh, in Alberta so it's a very uh, very nice little company i think uh, one that's very profitable and uh, I, I think the upside potential looks quite good for airway energy as well. I should mention uh, in the future as we uh, go forward, what I want to do more on this show is to bring you uh, ideas about how you can apply the things we talk about on the show, we focus a lot of our discussion on the problems in the global economy, the problems in our markets, how politicians are uh, interfering with the natural flow of markets and how that is leading to uh, more difficulties. And, and uh, of course, the, the flip side of that is that when they are messing with the markets, there's probably profits to be made somewhere else. Not that we're trying to profit from other people's miseries, but if the politicians and the policymakers are going to mess things up by interfering with the natural flows of markets, uh, then we have to protect ourselves and do the best we can to try to at least hold our own and hopefully profit uh, and, and come out ahead uh, by understanding what uh, those forces are. But in terms of providing more concrete ideas about how uh, you might profit from them, I am hoping uh, to combine... On this show, along with a more dynamic website, uh, ideas about about how you can profit with the individual stock picks, and I'm planning to have uh, some other newsletter writers uh, become more prominently uh, be- become more prominent on this show. People that I have very high esteem for, and and some of their names, some of them have already been on this show, but uh, I have begun talking to them about coming on more often, passing on ideas about how you may be able to uh, to profit uh, from. Uh, in the In the natural resource sector, but specifically in the gold and silver sectors, um, I should mention that of course uh, you will want to always talk to your own a financial advisor uh, before you make your decisions. You need to understand the risks. We want to ask our guests uh, if they can uh, tell us what they think the risky, the most risky thing about owning their shares uh, will be. Uh, we'll be talking to Mr. Robertson pretty soon. Uh, get his ideas on not only on the upside potential, but where there may be some risks. People, you do need to understand the risks. The uh, the exploration sector is an extremely risky uh, sector but when uh, when there's success they can be extreme it can be an extremely rewarding sector so we want to uh we want our listeners to have in mind uh both sides of the equation we also uh would encourage you to talk to your own financial advisor whenever possible uh, uh, and know your own know yourself know your own temperament know your financial uh understand your financial resources your age uh, is another consideration you know how you're going to plan your future all those things you need to discuss with your financial advisor as well. Um, I should mention uh, now with respect to today's show, I did mention we'll have those two CEOs we'll be talking to um, in, in a little bit, uh, Mr. Robertson to start with, but we're also going to be talking to our main, one of our two main guests today, Alistair McLeod. Uh, he joins us for the first time. He writes for James Turk's Gold Money uh... he has a real depth of understanding of the gold markets i think of the equity markets in general he is an economist he is a great writer uh... i can't wait to talk to him uh, to get some of his ideas to see uh... how he and i may differ i remain very much uh, a deflationist uh, in spite of all of the money that's being pumped into the system, but I'm sure, uh, I, I think we may have some a difference of opinion from Alistair. I'm going to, to see what he has to say, but most certainly I, I'm quite convinced we're pretty much on the same page with respect to gold and silver. And Pamela Aden will be joining me also for the first time today. She and her sister Marianne, uh, write the Aden Forecast, an excellent newsletter. They are very well known. For their uh, for their forecasts on gold and other markets uh, back in the 1970s, in fact, and they, uh, Pamela will be joining me for the first time. She and her sister write an excellent newsletter that has a heavy focus on the technical analysis, and uh, we'll be asking Pamela for what some of her views are with respect to well, what are the charts telling her and her sister Marianne about uh, not only the precious metals markets but the debt markets, uh, the equity markets, and, and a whole lot of other things. Uh, As I said, I do remain pretty much uh, on the deflation side of this whole inflation-deflation argument. Um, I would uh, reserve the right to change my mind, and there are certain things that would certainly cause me to change my mind. If I saw a washout in the dollar, that would certainly cause me to change my mind. Uh, And if I saw banks starting to lend aggressively, or more importantly, if I were to see some kind of major uh, change in velocity of money. If we started seeing people take on a, a uh, an inflation psychology, which is in part is what Mr. Bernanke wants to do, he wants to fine tune an inflation psychology so people don't sit around and expect prices to fall and stop spending. He wants people to keep spending. He wants to generate animal spirits, which I think is a, a phony idea that was created by John Maynard Keynes. And we will be talking, I'm sure, to Alistair McCloud about uh, animal spirits in a bit. Uh, but we, uh, but uh, the reason I am such a deflationist, and I could spend a lot of time talking about this, my engineer is telling me I only have a minute before we need to go to break. The long and the short of it is that we have so much debt that cannot be repaid, and that debt has grown exponentially over the last number of years, but income has grown at best in a linear fashion. And we have what the Austrians understand as malinvestment. You create huge amounts of money, capital is put into bad uses so you don't have the in, you don't have the income to come out to service that debt and i believe this is a global phenomenon i believe that uh... rick rule was right when he said on cnbc the other day that we have a global insolvency problem it's not a liquidity problem it's an insolvency problem and uh... where do you get the animal spirits if you can't go out and uh... if everybody's broke i mean how do you get animal spirits well it's, it's i think that's the problem the keynesians have they don't recognize uh, that it's not just a matter of psychology, it's a matter of a world uh, of disequilibrium. The markets have been not allowed to function and so we have lots and lots of problems and things that have to be solved before we can uh, start to look forward to days when we're not focusing on gold, when we're really uh, putting our capital to use in things that really make a big difference and sort of help human beings instead of, uh, you know, produce a metal that sits around in a vault somewhere. But the markets are demanding gold now because gold is real money, and they are not and they are, it is a vote of no confidence against paper money uh, and this is something that I think Bernanke is powerless to to change. I think uh, all policymakers are powerless to change, and so the markets are saying we want to. we want to uh, they're voting against the central banks that are creating funny money, and they're voting in favor actually of, uh, I think who will be the real central bankers of the future, and that's the gold mining companies. So we do have to take a break and in just a few minutes. Uh, we will be back, uh, with my first guest today. Uh, and, uh, just looking here, we're gonna be back in just a couple of minutes. Uh, we do have to go to a break now when we come back. We'll be with Adrian Robertson, uh, the President CEO of Eurostar Gold Corp. One of those companies that will be looking to mint money uh, or at least uh, finding the money in the ground and have someone else min it. So we'll be right back. Don't go away. With Adrian Robertson.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
3: Eurostar Gold Corporation is re-examining well-known properties in Mexico, using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of. Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012. Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase One drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership, and loyal shareholder base, Euristar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.euristargold.com for more information.
0: Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business.
4: Voice America Business Network,
0: the bottom line in business.
1: You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Hard Times and the Good Times, I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm very pleased to have with me, once again, Adrian Robertson. Uh, he's the president and CEO of Eurostar Gold Corp. He is a professional engineer with uh, life of mine experience ranging from exploration and financing uh, through to production and reclamation, and he previously worked uh, with major companies like Valet, uh, tech, uh, formerly Inco, uh, Tech, uh, and uh, TVX Corp. In addition uh, to his responsibilities with Eurostar, uh, Mr. Robertson is also a consultant and corporate pilot working with several Vancouver-based junior mining companies. Well, that's interesting. I think uh, I know that uh, being able to get out to some very remote areas is a very important part of of this business. Um, he is also a director of Meadow Bay Gold Corp., which is a company that I follow, and it's uh, a recommendation in my newsletter as well. Uh, so, uh welcome, Adrian. It's really good to have you
4: back. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me on.
2: Really good to have you. I should mention to our listeners that your uh, price, I think, earlier today was around $0.27. Cents. Does that sound about right? Yep, that's right. And $34.5 million shares gives you a pretty low market cap, and uh, somewhere under, I guess, around $10 million or so.
4: Right. Well, it's early days for us. We've only been um, really active with the drill bit since early in 2012, so... Uh, we hope to see some some appreciation in the share price as we bring all the results this year well, to market. You're pretty early on,
2: but you've had uh, some some reasonably good success. I mean, I don't know how you really gauge this. Geologists look at it one way. People without the sophistication. Uh, uh, the geological sophistication may not uh, understand it in the same way, but you had on August 23rd, you put out a press release uh, talking about 179 meters, uh, grading 0. 0.36 grams per ton gold, and that's on your L antimonial property. Uh, talk to us about the significance of that, if you will. I know that if you get an intersection that long that's mineralized, that's special, but uh you you've had a couple of other intersections uh long ones too, that are grading you know on a low uh gram, one gram uh sub one gram level. but talk to us about the significance of your drill program are you Are you pleased with what you've come up with so far?
4: Yeah, we're really pleased with the results we've had um There's two things in terms of context that you'd need to look at when you when you read these numbers um It's the first holes that have been put into this property. Um, ever so so to go out on your first pass at a gold mine and hit I think uh, 31 of 44 holes we've had successful result is is a really good success rate and then the other part is just geographically where we're located um, you can mine I think Timmins is shipping 0.14 gram gold to their mills so or to their mm-hmm. leach pad so you really don't need high grade deposits in this part of the world because they're extensively oxidized and you can mine them at, at such a low cost I mean it's all near surface and um, and, and you don't need you know, two grams to to have a go of it in this part of the world.
2: So, so that that point one four for Timmins would be a cutoff grade, I suppose, right? Right. And I, and I might mention, I, I believe, uh, I, I don't remember exactly what their cost numbers are, but they're certainly not the highest in the industry. They're somewhere maybe around the middle, or I don't know.
4: You know what? I'm not sure either. I think as, I think
2: As I recall, maybe $800, uh, seven hundred, something like that. Yeah. So 99. if we
4: look at the price of gold, which is up, I think we took we spoke last on August twenty first. It's up over a hundred dollars since then. Um, They're making money hand over fist right now, just like a lot of the other producers.
2: Yeah, they're doing very well. And this is a point that I'd like to get across to my listeners, is that even though the share prices have not uh, performed all that well in recent times and recent uh, months, uh the earnings for the producers have been very very strong and i've talked about this before the real price of gold what an ounce of gold uh, will buy in terms of the rogers fund has risen very dramatically and that's and i just see it all the time in the uh, in the gold mining companies the big ones uh, they're doing very well so you've got uh, uh 31 of 44 hits so to speak it must be your preliminary work uh, is paying off. I mean, how you, you wouldn't couldn't just blindly put a drill hole down and hit 31 out of 44. What sort of uh, preliminary uh, geological tools are you using to set up your drill targets?
4: Well, the standard basket, uh, geophysics, geochem, and, and lots of surface mapping, going over all the historic data. Um, and now as we move forward to our next program, uh, we'll use the results of this and, and try to expand on the places where we've had some success as well as do a little bit more Uh, sort of greenfield, if you will, and and expand on zones that we haven't even tested yet. There's there's a tremendous amount of land at this antimonial property that we haven't even really had a good look at.
2: Yeah, you haven't done preliminary uh, work on yet even, I guess, huh? But But to show some promise, obviously, you wouldn't uh, be interested in it. Well, so how much drilling um, in the current program, when will it be finished, and when will the last results be be out?
4: We finished off our RC program. It was just over 10,000 meters in 50 holes. Uh, we've announced up to hole 44, so we'll get uh, the results from holes 45 through 50 to the market as soon as they're uh, done with the assays, and we have three core holes to announce as well that are just um, also on the way to the lab.
2: So you're going to be doing, so you have three core diamond drill holes, three cores? Right. And you'll be uh, starting a, a core program then, a diamond drill yeah. program
4: uh, soon? seven yeah, core program, we're just finishing up the core program. We haven't got the, the diamond drilling uh, core, we haven't got any of the results back yet. Um, but we expect to announce three diamond drill core holes over the next sort of month and a half, as well as uh, the last six RC holes should be out within, I would think, a couple of weeks. Do you
2: anticipate um, the RC holes uh, could be lower than diamond drill holes?
4: You know what? It's hard to say. We haven't... Um we haven't seen any results from the core holes yet. The the R C holes, they should correlate well. Um mm-hmm. we did we went a little deeper with the with the diamond drill holes. That was part of the idea was to see if um we could find kind of a feeder zone or, or see what was going on uh geologically with the with the core holes. So it's just a little bit more information that we can put into the model. Yeah. It should also add uh add some ounces to the resource. How deep
2: have uh, how deep has your drilling been uh and are you looking really here at a at an open pit target?
4: Absolutely at an open pit target. That's um, that's really the only way to make a goal. But we talked about, you know, the sub one ounce type of grades mm-hmm. we're getting. So we've drilled mm-hmm. with the RC, RC rig down to about 300 meters mm-hmm. and with the core rig uh, down to 500 meters.
2: Mm-hmm. What about infrastructure issues? You know, it's always a consideration, uh, whether you access, easy access, water, labor, electricity etc so how does this property uh, shape up in those terms
4: there's no there's no issues with any of that it's very close to a major highway that goes through Sonora state in Mexico uh, the power's on hand at the highway there's water available and there's lots of room for a mill so we're in, we're in great shape infrastructure wise
2: and permitting is relatively easy it's uh, it's doable there on, well too it's much a trouble, very active
4: mining district and we don't foresee any trouble trying to get a permit in this part of the world at all Yeah. Uh,
2: any metallurgical work carried out yet?
4: we haven't done any but we think um, just based on what we've seen from the from the RC cuttings that it's heavily oxidized and it should be no problem for for a heat bleach mine
2: mm-hmm uh Okay, so uh, we might be uh, looking for some more results then fairly soon and, and get a sense. When do you think you might have a, a resource? So would that be another year or so away before you have a, a resource?
4: I think uh, we can do something with the drilling we've done, especially the last um, sort of 10 or so RC holes. Uh, we, we tried to put them all in an area where we had some success earlier on in the program. So I feel like we should be able to get a resource done based on this 10,000 meters of drilling, and I'm, I'm optimistic we can get something done by the end of the year.
2: How much money do you have in the till right now, and how far will that take you?
4: Well, as I mentioned, we're we're slowing down all the drill programs, so our overhead should go to um, minimal amounts, and we've got about $800,000 in the bank, so there's really no urgent need to, to raise capital to sustain mm-hmm. the company. I mean, well, we will do a raise before we go drill again, um, but in the meantime, we're in fine shape
2: well hopefully you're uh, you come out with some good results and the markets uh have been much improved along with that hundred dollar increase in the gold price that you mentioned we've seen also finally it seems a bit of a uh of a turnaround in the gold share markets as well uh although uh, i guess your your shares are not at their highs right now though they were actually up a little bit more uh probably the market is waiting for some some results here um, yeah. what um you, you also have another property in Mexico that's, uh, over in the Sierra Madre mountains, I guess. Uh, talk to us about that a little bit, if you would. We've got two other
4: properties. Uh, Havley and Juliana are about seven kilometers apart and they're also, or sorry, they're about a kilometer and a half apart from each other and about seven kilometers away from the, uh, Mulatto's Gold Mine that Alamos Gold owns. So, we feel like those properties are a natural fit for either Alamos Gold or Agnico Eagle who has a, a large position down there that they um, acquired through uh, the acquisition of grade resources. And as we see this sort of uptick in the M&A activity, you see it with uh, Pedakia, InMets made an offer for Pedakia for, uh, I think it was a 50% premium for their share price, and uh, B2 Gold is also announced an acquisition a couple of days ago. Um, as we see the increase in M&A activity, it, it, it makes us feel like maybe we've got a chance to monetize these two properties mm-hmm. and raise the money for a bigger program in Antimonio that way
2: right uh there's relatively small properties, but they're strategically located. I believe that's uh sort of the the gist of that, isn't
4: it? yeah, they're strategically located, and there's there's plenty of gold on them. We drilled um i think we drilled nine holes or seven holes at Havley. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but only one of them didn't intercept gold and it was because it didn't reach its target depth, so yeah, they we, were very impressive. with properties and there should be some some live interest from the uh two majors in the neighborhood
2: um okay, so uh, you have um, so you've been exploring on those properties do you have anything else or th- is that basically at those two areas in Mexico at the point at this moment
4: yeah we've only got the three properties right now in the two areas and we feel like um you know we don't want to spread ourselves too thin as we know it has been challenging to raise money for the last uh, 12 months or so and mm-hmm. um, it seems like we may be getting out of that situation but we don't want to try and chase too many rabbits here so
2: yeah, you've got to be careful. You um, you certainly uh, are a very young company. As, as you said, you just uh, really started uh, started operating, what, just less than a year ago or about a year ago? When,
4: yeah, when we started you started drilling in um, Julian, I think, in February of this year. So.
2: One of the things I like to ask our guests uh, for the sake of people that may not be that, uh, listeners that may not be that sophisticated, may not understand the risks uh, inherent in a young exploration company like like yours what do you what would you suggest to our listeners your biggest risk might be for people that come in and buy your shares now at these levels it's a very low price so but yeah at you, these levels i don't
4: i don't see a tremendous amount of downside i mean um when you talk about juniors in general there's always the exploration risk that they're not going to find what they think they're going to find i think we've mitigated that by having three pretty successful drill campaigns this year um, there 's general market risk, the price of gold, but all those things seem to be trending in the right direction, so I think it 's a great time for people to to start paying a little bit more attention to yours, sir
2: Well, you know I can tell you that we 've uh, one of the stocks that i 've talked about on this show I've owned was uh, um, gold Quest, and uh, their shares hit an air pocket today i 'm not sure why i haven 't had a chance to look at it, but from a dollar eighty to a dollar thirty or something like that range so but of course that 's a dollar eighty five and you 're at twenty seven cents or whatever so it 's <laughs> uh, of course they 've had a great discovery but you um, uh, you 're off to a fine start the way it looks uh, There are hundreds of junior gold stocks out there, so why why should people what might be some of the selling points they should look at yours as opposed to hundreds and hundreds of
4: others out there? Well, you need to have the property. I think we've got three outstanding properties. You need to have the people um, who can manage the budget and get the work done. I think we've got an excellent group along with um, uh, Bill Reed and Michelle stillen and John Reed are the other directors of the company. Mm-hmm. And you need to be able to put the money in place to do the work. And so far, that hasn't been a problem for us either. So I think um, people who are looking at Gearstar can see that it's a company that we, we've done what we said we've been able to do, we've been able to meet, um, achieve our goals really for this year uh, so far, and there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to perform that way in the future. Very
2: good. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. We are out of time. Anything else you'd like to just pass on before we conclude our discussion today?
4: Uh, no, I haven't got anything else. Um, oh. we, as we mentioned, we should have a little bit more news out here in the next uh, week or two and um, and more to follow after that. And your website where people can follow that would be? It's EurostarGold.com and that's U-R-A-Star. <laughs> that's, uh, that's,
2: that's, that's kind of cute. U-R-A-Star, <laughs> EurostarGold.com. Thank you very much for being with us and hey, uh, we'll I look forward on, to it. talking to you again sometime uh, for an update. Thank you.
4: Sounds great. Thank you.
2: Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Alistair McLeod, uh, who I hope will tell us, uh, you know, where he thinks the gold price is going. I know, I believe I'll be very shocked if he's not very bullish. On gold. Uh, Don't go away. We'll hear what Alistair has to say.
0: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
3: Eurostar Gold Corporation is re-examining well-known properties in Mexico, using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of. Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012. Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase One drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership and loyal shareholder base, Eurostar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.euristargold.com for more information.
0: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters
4: voice america business network the bottom line in business
2: Our Times is the good Times. I'm your host Jay Taylor and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Alistair McLeod. Alistair writes uh, for James Turk's gold money, and many of you have heard James Turk on this show on uh, several occasions in the past. Uh, Alistair has a background as a stockbroker, a banker. We won't hold that against him since I also was a banker one time in uh, prior life. And uh, he is also an economist and we won't hold that against Alistair either although I think uh, economists and bankers and politicians, a lot of people put them all in the same, uh, in the same boat. Uh, I wouldn't do that with Alistair, and I think when you hear what he has to say, you would agree with me. Uh, he is uh, a senior fellow at the Gold Money Foundation, and his weekly articles are written uh, for Gold Money. They're posted on his blog at alistairmccloud.blogspot.com. That's Alistair, is spelled A-L-A-S-D-A-I-R, M-A-C-L-E-O-D uh, dot blog blogspot dot com. Uh, he also runs the financialandeconomics dot org site. Uh, it's a website that's directed to sound money and demystifying finance and economics. Welcome, Alistair, to turning hard times into good times.
5: Very much my pleasure, Jay.
2: Good to have you. You know, demystifying economics, I think that uh, economics have been mystified uh, perhaps intentionally. Would
5: you agree? I would agree entirely. Uh, And indeed, um, I think right from 1870, when uh, the marginal theory was um, introduced, from that point, I think people sort of got rather lost. (laughs) So it's been a long time, I think, mystified, as you put it.
2: It's kind of simple when you think about supply and demand. And uh, if we just went back to sort of simple understanding of how human beings act when prices rise and when they fall and uh you know uh that that's uh, that's probably the biggest part of economics right there and you would think that our policymakers with fancy with PhDs from fancy universities would understand that but i think it's i think they've they find it challenging sometimes don't they
5: uh i think um i think there's there's there's, there's the real world and there's the world of ivory towers <laughs> and yeah. never the twain shall meet i'm afraid
2: i i like to say sometimes that uh, all these guys with PhDs behind their Names are probably the most disadvantaged. uh, A lot of times, when it when it comes to understanding how the real world works. Well, anyway, um, I believe that you would agree that the global economy is probably in the worst shape it's been in since the nineteen thirties. Would you Would you agree with
5: that? I would, um, and uh, you could argue that it's probably in worse shape. And certainly, if you look at the buildup of debt uh, that we have now, it's uh, considerably worse than that it was in the nineteen thirties, and that is actually a very very serious worry for Seoul.
2: Well, I would agree with you there. As, as I look at the numbers, I think uh, something like, uh, in the United States at least, uh, total debt, uh, you know, private sector as well as government, to GDP was something like, I think, 225% at the worst. And we've gotten over 360% recently. I don't know if we're, maybe we've come off a little bit, but it's... By all, and I hear mainstream economists say that we have to get back to a level that is more in line with the historical of something more like 125 to 225 or 125 to 175, something like that. Um, Any thoughts on that?
5: Um, Yes, really the problem is about prices. And I think that if you look back to before the Lehman Brothers, Uh, bankruptcy, if you look back to the end of the housing bubble in the United States, uh, credit was very, very free. And so people spent, and they thought nothing of uh, getting a a liar loan and uh, buying a house for whatever money. It really didn't matter because they knew they were going to make more tomorrow. And then something changed. And when people's um, view of money changes, uh, then all the prices that they buy – with money, also changes. And that's essentially what happened. And I think that the distortions in the market really cried out for far lower prices to reflect the withdrawal of all that demand uh, as uh, money suddenly became a lot more precious. And uh, we're still suffering from that because that's what we're trying to avoid facing. And uh-huh. it's, it's quite interesting to see central bankers. I mean, we had um, uh, Mervyn King on the television, I think it was last week, uh, uh-huh. in another program. And uh, he was saying that, um, you know, the real problem is animal spirits have gone. And he couldn't describe it any other way. Uh-huh. And he said, what we've got to do is we've got to get money back into production and we've got to get uh, businesses investing again. Uh-huh. But, you know, they're looking at it the wrong way around because um, if prices are too high – you don't want businesses producing more things. Uh-huh. You know, you've got, to, you've got to sort out the price thing. The prices exactly. have got to fall, and then it sorts itself out. In other words, they're all looking at it from the wrong end of the telescope. And the, uh, the effect of that is, I mean, if we're lucky, it'll just take a long time to sort out as uh, markets sort of gradually readjust to... You know whatever the central banks do, um, but if we 're unlucky and we are quite li- likely to be unlucky, um, the whole thing falls down round our ears it 's actually a very very serious situation, i think a lot more serious than the 1930s as you, um, you know, as you asked just a moment ago
2: yeah and I think that probably they 're not recognizing that, but again, when you talk about this whole thing of uh, it's artificial prices, isn't it? They're trying to hold housing prices up, for example, by suppressing interest rates. So they're, they're not allowing the markets to work. And once again, Alistair, I think what we're looking at is a simple supply and demand, uh, idea that, you know, let prices fall and you'll clear the market.
5: Exactly no, that. You've, you've, you've put it. You've put it. Um, I think succinctly, and that is exactly what the problem is. And they just won't let the market clear. But I mean, the problem is that if you start, you know, the, same, the distortions in the economy are so great that if you let the market clear, then you have got to face the reality that there are going to be lots and lots of bankruptcy, mm-hmm. uh, include, included among the banks, which of course is the big big worry. And mm-hmm. um, you know, no politician is going to do that deliberately. Yeah, that's,
2: and, you know, of course, the problem yeah. is they didn't allow the markets to work continuously so that the adjustments would be steady and, and uh, wouldn't throw the markets into such disequilibrium, right?
5: That's right. That's right. And it is, it's it is in a sense, I think, more difficult than that, because if you have a good grasp of theoretical economics, and I, I dismiss Keynesians as not having that.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I would agree that- 100%.
5: Yeah, then, then you have a chance of framing a policy to let things down gently. Um, and I would do something simple. Like, for example, I would encourage people to build up savings mm-hmm. um, simply because savings are the bedrock of the future, the future prog- progression. And it's got to be progress, not growth. There are, There's a distinction between the two. The future progression of the economy does depend on savings. And if you're going to encourage savings, then you've got to provide a sound money background for it. And you, but you have to evolve towards it. But if you know what you're doing and if you understand what you're doing, you have at least got a chance of, of uh, getting there without, without everything breaking down. But the problem is that they don't even understand that. So, you know, if you're a policymaker and you turn around to your advisors in the treasury, let's say, and say, you know, I think that um, we've got to control our debt, you will find that the, Economic specialists in the Treasury will turn round Keynesians to a man and say, you're being very brave, minister, or, you know, secretary, <laughs> or whatever, which basically is, um, is, if you like, bureaucracy speak for, um, you you're you know, you're just going to kill yourself as a politician. Forget right. it, mate. Right. That's the trouble. You know, there's the, the system cannot deal with the changes that are required in order for us to get out of this mess.
2: Well, how did we get into this mess? I mean, why, how did this start? It seems to be sort of a gradual thing, you know, the analogy of the, uh, of the frog in a slowly, uh, in the kettle, when you turn up the heat slowly, he'll sit there and just bake until he dies. Throw, throw a frog into the uh, boiling pot and he'll immediately jump out. Is that what's happened to us? A little bit, a little bit of medicine, a little bit of Keynes, a little bit more Keynes, a little bit more Keynes, and the whole thing is sort of getting us not to think in terms of savings, but because the prescription from Keynes's point of view is a demand side, right? We we don't need to have to go through these through these troubling recessions uh, and, least of all, depression, if we just keep people's animal spirits up, as you were saying, keep them spending.
5: Yes, I know. I, you, 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 if you read um, uh, his, his his general theory. Uh, you, you get the feeling that actually what he, what he was recommending was um, that savings basically have got to be um, reduced, if you like, as, in their role of the economy. Because in those days, there was a big socialist imperative to uh, uh, move money from the rich to the proletariat. Uh, there was a big sort of socialist and communist mo- movement. And I think what Keynes was writing in The General Theory was rather in um, accordance with that political background. Um, And instead, what he was recommending is that is replaced by lower interest rates uh, managed from the central bank. So, really, it would be replaced by the expansion of bank credit. But the problem is that, um, as any Austrian economist who um, can explain capital theory to you, will explain that the result of that is to distort the market in such a way that you get a business cycle going which is only driven by credit and it starts off fine but then you immediately run start running into difficulties and inevitably what happens is that interest rates have to go up uh what Keynes called animal spirits which actually is because he didn't understand that if prices are too high because people's perception or value for money of money itself has changed and therefore all the prices have got marooned too high they need to go down in order to sort things out. They try and prevent that and over these cycles, each cycle getting bigger and bigger and bigger, the debt in the background doesn't wash out. It just gets larger and larger and larger. So we ended up really uh, in 2006, 2007 with massive amounts of debt in the private sector, um, most of it bank debt, bank credit rather, and uh, consequently the, the system fell over and that's that's really what's happened and we are still trying to stop the consequences of that and it's been a long long thing and it's um you know the idea of, of zero interest rates of um inflating the money supply and all the rest of it is not going to deal with that fundamental problem
2: right it's just uh, so it's one on top of the other layers and the markets never being allowed to correct back to equilibrium uh, and that is why we are now faced with the worst uh, situation since the Great Depression. And I've noticed that it's almost been successive recessions have been more difficult to come out of, and the unemployment rates have remained higher, and this is the granddaddy of all of them so far. So how long, much longer can this thing go on? Now, you know, the the conventional wisdom, Bernanke says, well, we can just keep stimulating the economy, and if there is a, uh, a change of heart and people start to, you know, the velocity of money starts to increase, people start to spend more rapidly because they start to believe that if prices are going to go up, we can quickly and easily just take that money back out of the system. We can go out. The Federal Reserve can go into the market and, um, uh, and I guess, uh, sell the bonds uh, or buy the uh, – yeah, sell the bonds and then sop up the money, right? Why can't that work? Um,
5: well, because we've now actually run out of road in terms of trying to stimulate the economy into another debt-driven business cycle. It's mm-hmm. just not going to happen, Jay. Mm-hmm. The level of debt is too large for the markets to bear. And... Um, I just also the other thing is, if you if you look at the liabilities that uh, government faces, um, isn't it convenient that uh, all these sort of you know putting money in the economy and all the rest of it helps finance the the government's budget deficit, which hasn't got showing no signs of of going down. Um, it's increasing probably a lot more rapidly than people think. Uh, the off uh, the off-balance sheet um, situation, which I think some economists have estimated is as high as, as 220 trillion dollars, and by this I mean all those social security liabilities and all the rest of it, which you've got to translate. You should, under gap accounting, translate back into net present value. Um, I saw an estimate which was put together by a couple of Bloomberg economists or, or writers that um, in the last year. The increase um, in uh, that off-balance sheet liability uh, last year was $11 trillion. Now, we're not seeing this on the balance sheets at all. No. But as sure as God made green apples, I mean, you know, it is going to start hitting us down the road and not all that far down the road. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, the, the, there, is, there is no way in which the economy can really shed this huge amount of debt and recover, and just get into another another cycle of it, and that is the principal problem. This is the final. Uh, I think I think what we have seen is the the, the, five, the top of the final business cycle in the series, which goes all the way back, certainly to the Nixon shock. You could also argue because looking at bank credit in particular. It could go back all the way to when the Fed was created in 1913. I mean, we're talking about unwinding distortions, which um, have been building up over a very, very long time. And You know, it's it. Imagine something else. Imagine that interest rates in the United States went to five percent. Now, 5%, I mean, if we get a little bit of economic recovery, temporary or not, yeah. 5%, I would have thought, is actually a very, very conservative estimate of where interest rates would go to. But 5%, uh, the U.S. government is totally bust. I mean, right. the, you know, because the interest cost, right. it, just, it, is, it just, um, you know, just escalates out of all proportion. So they are already in a debt trap. And if you're in a debt trap, there's no way you can recover. That's the
0: problem.
2: Where does that take us, then, and what are the practical implications for this? Uh, my engineer is telling me we have, uh, well, we have maybe ten, nine, ten minutes left, and I've, we've just barely scratched the surface here, Alice, Alistair. Uh, it, it seems to me what you're talking about is an implosion of credit, of debt, essentially, that that we could see an implosion. I mean, I believe that, you know, and even mainstream economists, as I said earlier, believe we have to come back to some sort of normal what they call normal might even be high, uh, pre-1913, levels of debt 125 to 175% of GDP, you know, when we're running twice that now. Uh, but do you see, but, but how is this going to play out? Are we going well, to see, I mean, Robert Prechter's scenario, which is a, a deflationary depression that would take the Dow below a thousand would take the Dow to six hundred and, uh, you know, Ian Gordon is in that camp, a uh, thousand on the Dow and he believes four thousand in gold, in the price of gold. Where, how do you see this playing out? I know your, your colleague James Turk is on the inflation side of it, but how, how is this going to play out?
5: Well, it's, 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 it's quite simple. If you, if you accept my proposition that, um uh, Western governments. So it's not just the United States. Um, it's, it's Britain, it's Japan, obviously. It's also the Eurozone. They are all bust. The, um, there are two ways in which you recognize that as a government. Either you stop um, you, um, paying your bondholders and you renege on your debts, or the alternative is you just print like fury. And um, guess what they'll do? They'll print like fury. Mm-hmm. And so they will destroy, they will destroy paper currencies. Uh, Of of that, I I have to be persuaded that there is any alternative to the destruction of paper currencies, and nobody has come up with a convincing argument. Um, I think Robert Prechter, um, in a sense, I think what he's missing in this is that he's thinking in terms of dollars as being a sort of constant value. Mm It's not it is that value that is going to collapse. Now he is right in the sense that we are heading into a major depression. You could mm-hmm. say that we are a long way towards that already. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, measuring it in a will of the wisp currency, you're not going to end up with something that you can put on a chart and say is absolutely accurate. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to to, to the Dow, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 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 no longer in the business of um, of, of, of securities and equities and things like that but I would make one point and that is in uh, a highly inflationary environment companies do not make adequate um, write-offs for um, you know, depreciation and things like that. It's mm-hmm. something that needs to be accelerated extremely rapidly. Now, part mm-hmm. of the reason they can't do it is because the, um, you know, the tax, the, you know, the, the, the tax won't allow them to do so. But it does mean that, um, you know, the value in companies gets absolutely destroyed by, um, very, very high inflation. So it's perfectly possible that you'll see, um, uh, the Dow go down. I mean, I don't know. Who knows where on earth it's going to go mm-hmm. under these circumstances. But, you know, we've got businesses which, um, you know, have cash. Um, that cash, if we get a hyperinflation background, is going to be valueless. Um, and yet they're sitting on plant and equipment and all the rest of it. Demand is far lower than the, the level of prices for most products, uh, you know, suggests it should be. So, you know, demand itself just isn't there. So, Yes, business is going to have a huge, great problem over the next two or three years. That I can certainly see.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, so, certainly so, the so, demand isn't there. The middle class is being hollowed out in, in the U.S., and I would imagine that's happening in, in Europe as well to, a, to an extent. Uh, yes, exactly. it is. In, um, uh, in, in Portugal, uh, my wife is Portuguese, and I know she was looking at the newspaper this morning. The Portuguese people have started to raise a bit of hell over there because they've had a lot of their uh, give-me's from government taken back, and yeah. so the uh, the government is apparently sort of uh, recanted a bit, and are deciding that they have to raise taxes instead of cut it, instead of cutting spending uh, to try to make ends meet and, and to stick with the euro. You're uh, within the European Union. You, are you a believer? I believe that you are a believer that the European Union is days are numbered.
5: Yes, I believe so. And in fact, um, uh, I had an article published on Zero Hedge. It was um, went far, um, uh, Chris Martin's peakprosperity.com. Um, I firmly believe that um, the only solution, the short-term solution to this, is Germany should leave the eurozone. Um, the debts that she is being asked to carry are far too great for her to carry. Um, her GDP is something like 2.3, 2.5 trillion euros. Uh, the debts that she has been asked to carry are on the order of four trillion. You can't do that. It's just absolute nonsense. And I I think that that Germany, Finland and the Netherlands in particular, possibly Austria and possibly Luxembourg as well, um, should actually leave the euro. Um, And then I think what would happen is a a weaker euro um, would please the Keynesian economists. I would argue that that would give you the best chance for economic recovery in the Mediterranean countries. Um, and uh, I know that any such um, benefit would be purely temporary, um, but that's not the point. It would actually give, I think it would give Germany and the rest of them the excuse to get the hell out of it. Uh, and the, the more they, they delay, I mean, it is just nonsense. And, and I think that um, it's—if you, if you look at the position of... Um, uh, of America, I mean, the United States in this matter, and the IMF, they must realize that uh, there's got to be another solution rather than Germany just chucking money she hasn't got at the problem. There's got to be another solution than uh, the ECB printing money furiously. I mean, she can obviously print to a degree. I mean, she bend the rules, of course she will. Um, but that's not really going to solve the problem because the scale of the problem is just too big. And um, I think, I, I mean, I would be very, very uh, worried if the IMF, uh, the U.S. government, the Bank of International Settlements weren't actually sitting there and working out that actually what should happen is Germany should leave so that the euro itself can go down and give those countries a chance. And I think that's the sort of conclusion they will come to
2: yeah the markets will force it because uh, so far what we're seeing all of the uh, the politicians uh uh mrs merkel included have been uh Sort of, uh, I would say, suppressing the wishes of the, of the masses of people in favor of the ruling elite. Uh, isn't that, that seems to be the way things are going so far?
5: Yeah, she's, you, you're right. She's between a rock and a hard place. I mean, she's got elections next November. Um, and, um, I mean, she realized precisely what the situation is. Uh, but Germany was um, one of the founders of uh, the European. Union, as it were, uh, the European project is, uh, you know, it's 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 something which everybody has to agree with. And um, you know, Germany, having lost two world wars, um, created an awful lot of uh, <laughs> economic and political disruption, um, you know, with Hitler and all the rest of it. She doesn't want to rock the boat. She, ever since World War Two, she's basically just got on with, you know, rebuilding her economy. Building savings, I mean, now, that's a classic. They've they've made lots of economic mistakes, but you've got an economy there which has been based on savings, and that is why it is the most successful economy in the Eurozone.
2: Well, you're absolutely right, Alistair. Unfortunately, we're just about out of time here, and we haven't even gotten to our favorite topic, gold. Uh, I would suggest, uh, based on what I'm seeing in the Basel III uh, proposals, that we might see the solution may come sooner rather than later in terms of some sort of gold monetization. We've got just uh, less than two minutes. Can you give your thoughts on that? And if so, where might the price of gold be headed?
5: Well, I agree with you entirely about that, Jay. I think that uh, people are, um, you know, they're, they're not putting enough importance on uh, this move by uh, the Basel III. To include gold at zero haircut mm-hmm. in bank balance sheets, is very, very important, um, as to where gold is going, I think gold has been left a long way behind the curve we 've consolidated for a year, and I think we 're going to move up very, very sharply from here uh, i don 't make price forecasts um, because my particular um, approach to gold is not to play it as an investor because I think that I mean you play it as an investor, if you want, by all means, because if you 're an investor, what you 're actually seeking to do is to sell it at some stage. Yeah. I think to sell it is a mistake. I think you ought to have it because you 're going to want to put bread on the table and you want to go and you 're going to want to heat your home and there will come a point where the dollar the euro, the yen uh, the pound is going to be completely trashed and won 't buy anything, and then you 'll be very, very glad to have some gold so that 's my view. Uh, um, it's effectively a view that gold goes to infinity.
2: Well, I, it is my view too. Unfortunately, I hope that we're wrong on that. Uh, I hope that the politicians and policymakers will wake up in time to uh, to move us into uh, voluntarily move us into some sort of a gold standard that where we have honest money, where uh, and let the free markets reign again, so that we can have uh... efficient uh... allocation of capital and resources uh... that's the way i think you and i both agree free market economics is is what would work best for the most for everybody really honestly uh... but uh... you know that's not the 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 inclination of our policy makers now alistair there's so much more that we could have talked about unfortunately we've got to go uh... i've got your friend and mine, pamela aiden coming on next uh... but we'll have to have you back sometime real soon again if you'll agree to
5: come back will you i would I would, yes i would i would love to i would okay. love to and uh, uh no i enjoyed talking to you as well jay and thank you very much indeed
2: we'll have you back real soon thank you alistair uh, folks don't okay. go away we're going to be right back with pamela aden and she'll have some ideas about the gold price and a lot of other things don't go away we'll be right back
0: Business community's first choice in internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
3: Eurostar Gold Corporation is re examining well known properties in Mexico, using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of. Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012. Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase One drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership and loyal shareholder base, Euristar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.euristargold.com for more information.